0: Behind every great artist, there's a great band who help take the music from the studio to the stage. In each episode, I talk with some of the most accomplished and sought-after musicians in the world. Delving into the details of their backgrounds, their stories, and their journeys. Doing away with the fiction and getting into the facts. It's not about the hype. It's not about the product. It's about the players. We're back. Hope everybody's safe and well. Don't let this lack of live gigs get you down. Stick with us as we get up close and personal with the talent behind the stars. In this episode, I jumped on a call with Deshaun Abrahams. From Perth, Australia to London. From Kylie Minogue to Ed O'Brien of Radiohead. He breaks it all down. Check it out. Yeah, I'm here with my good friend Deshaun Abrahams. Dish, how you doing, man?
1: I'm good, man. It's good to talk so to look,
0: you. Yeah, do you, do you remember the last gig you played,
1: man? Um. Yeah, let me think. The last gig I played... Was in Paris mm-hmm. for this TV show mm-hmm. called Some Echoes with Jenny Beth. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, that was the last gig, and Ooh. even uh, with Ed O'Brien from Radiohead. So like EOB is kind of like he stylized his his thing as EOB. So um, okay, but even that was like right at the kind of beginning of things starting to look like it was gonna like, that was kind of the last gig that right. um, that I think me or anyone I knew was doing, you know, because it was starting to, when we got there, it was everyone, people were wearing masks already. And like, it was, it was elbows, no shaking hands, you know, that thing when it was that kind of stage, right 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 did it feel like a good one did it <laughs> did it, <laughs> it felt great but it also felt weird because it was this thing of like not knowing you know everyone was kind of like i was completely naive to the situation to be honest
0: yeah 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 and
1: then you had people on the other extreme you know like the front of the house guy was fully you know he was mask and gloves and he was like no guys this is like it's gonna be serious and you know and i was like come on man be dramatic you know and then within a few days of us getting home it was like whoa everything's shutting down and like worldwide actually we're supposed to be in America right now like as of like yesterday or day before
0: definitely not happening definitely not Ooh. happening but <laughs> 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 but I guess um that's not a bad last one to kind of have done yeah so, it, was, um, it was
1: fun it was a fun gig it was a good gig but and you know it was just a weird thing to come back and be like okay so now what happens <laughs> you know watching the world closed doors you know
0: so how did you wind up playing
1: with ed o'brien from Radiohead? so um that was a really surreal kind of uh experience basically he emailed me and i obviously it was like yeah sure <laughs>
0: one of those ones like nigerian prince offering you money
1: (laughs) i have been scammed before this is not going to (laughs) work the second time um but then i kind of um i went back to the email later in the evening and i I was like there's a few names in there that like of mutual friends and stuff like that you know yeah 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 and i was like wait a second (laughs) (laughs) let me just reply (laughs) so i replied and then um and i just basically said everything i just said now like i was just like i really didn't believe you know that this is you know but if it is this is awesome whatever so he gave me a call the next day and we just sort of talked and then um got together he had kind of like a group of people that he had in mind to Mm -hmm. to work with Mm -hmm. but he wanted to get together and like spend like three days playing spend the first kind of evening hanging out in his house and kind of having dinner and just, you know, cause he was, it, it's funny, you know, he was like, I've never been in another band before. Like I don't even know what, what this is like. <laughs> no, one
0: of I want to
1: yeah, meet everyone, get to know everyone and kind of like play and just, just sort of catch a vibe, I guess. Yeah. 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 So we did that and that was like June, June or July last year. And then it was kind of nothing kind of, that was just like a, it was basically like an audition for three days. You know, right, right. With, with just just us playing and hanging out, and then sort of we started gigging um, end of last year. No, like, wait a second. Where are we? Middle- no, we started gigging this year. We started okay. rehearsing beginning of this year in January, um, and then started gigging, and then and then everything. You know, it was it was like planned for the whole kind of year vibes, but, and then yeah. That- and things changed of course, recently. as they do As oh, yeah. they do. But, but that's interesting
0: where you guys was i mean with regards to the three days of playing were you was it were you jamming was it sort of playing his material playing other material playing radiohead songs like
1: <laughs> no we're not doing any um any radiohead songs it's funny where um so it was his material and like i think we kind of discussed some covers that we were planning that he wanted to do mm-hmm. he sort of had this idea of um which we kind of started doing but then because we didn't really get to get um a good kind of run of gigs we kind of did a few gigs in america like showcasey kind of things mm-hmm. um, we did this thing in paris like i said and then that was it but um the idea was to kind of have this movable feast set list kind of thing so we'd have a mm-hmm. bunch of different obviously have all his songs then have a bunch of different covers that he can kind of like each night go, okay, let's do this one, that one, and let's move these. So the setlist was always moving around. And I think that's how he was used to doing things with Radiohead. But then yeah. it's different when, you, when you've when got like 80 <laughs> songs that you can choose from, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that's good about it. Obviously, it's good from band perspective because when you've got that setlist, that is the setlist set in stone. And you yeah. may have been playing it that way for a, an entire tour, however, however long that goes for. And then you might have a separate one for festivals and you might play that every single festival is set, you know. yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you know what I mean? Like, there's different time length sets that are the same each time. And stuff becomes dry and not in a way of like, it, it almost is like you, you can see the future of the gig. Do you know what I mean? Before it happens and you sort of play it through in your head. Whereas if you kind of have, Oh, here's a cover that we haven't played for a few weeks. Yeah. 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 And it makes everything else in the set fresh again, you know? Yeah.
0: And I guess you have that kind of adrenaline sometimes too, because it's like, Oh shit, we haven't been playing this a lot. Like how's this going to go? And then you kind of have that kind of on the edge kind of freedom thing, which I think is something that's such an important part of music, but people like forget
1: about. Because things can happen that aren't planned and aren't necessarily good. But, I think that's always a better experience for people on stage and watching the gig, yeah you know, man, that's nobody a wants to live music isn't yeah, it? That's nobody that. really wants to go like you know there's kind of fans that go to every single gig of an artist to follow them, like I don't understand that when the fans play the <laughs> <like>, when the <laughs> artist is playing the same thing every night you know if you, yeah. if you're going to see the same artist and they're playing different stuff
0: yeah, yeah, that's, yeah
1: that's pretty cool. that's really amazing and and being in a in a band like that is even even more fun because it's like oh, we not only have some kind of input into it, but we can also have the freedom to go, we can just try different stuff on this tune tonight, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, okay. it's been, I think it's been a long time for me um, doing a gig like that with that kind of freedom, without track, without kind of this, like, um, that pop precision kind of planning, you know, that goes into, which is which is great in a song right, obviously. But... Um, it's just nice to kind of, to have started doing it like that anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's really good. It's positive and it's kind of like, it makes you kind of bring that edge of your seatness to the gig as well, you know.
0: So tell me what, what type of gigs have you been doing leading up to that gig?
1: Last year was mostly Jess um mm-hmm. First kind of two thirds of the year. Mm-hmm had some bits and pieces with um labyrinth which we did together and ella henderson and mm-hmm. then this year was was going to be all ed but yeah
0: sure sure and 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 like just i want to know a little bit about some of the gigs you were doing before as well like just even like a short
1: kind of rundown of the kind of people you've been playing with so from kind of the top of the kind of like when i started doing session stuff which was we was with you Uh, Sugar Babes was was the first thing I did um, which we did together and then from that I went to this um, to a French singer called Christophe Willem Mm -hmm. and from that to Kylie Minogue and Mm -hmm. from that to Leona Lewis but I was still kind of doing Kylie so they they kind of overlapped for about three years which was really nice
0: How long were you doing Kylie Minogue for? Uh,
1: Eight years almost eight years Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was a big, big chunk of time. It was like a chunk of time where I've got sort of, I've made some sort of friends for life and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Did you get a medal? Did you get like a special, like, <laughs> special cup? I gave myself a medal. Yeah, gave was a little certificate. It was a whole ceremony, but um, only I was there. <laughs> 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 no, it was cool. It actually all like, the way that kind of ended was was really good. Like, as good as it could possibly be when things end, you know. I, sure. At that time, I'd started, like, um, we'd started working together on Jess Glynn. And, and that first year with Jess, everything worked out with Kylie as well, time-wise. Everything was perfect. Sure. <clears throat> and then the next year, it was looking a little bit clashy. You know, uh-huh. and it was like, and look, and the kind of clashy way. It's not. It's like I can't make this work. You know. Yeah, sure. Doing both, so I kind of had to make a decision, and I made that decision based on purely just what was coming up. You know, um, in the diaries of on the two artists and um, but yeah, everyone was really cool. The music director Steve Anderson was really cool, mm-hmm. um, and it was the whole. It, it kind of ended in a way of like we totally understand and. If you, if it works out in the future, you want to come back, then, then we can make that work kind of thing. Obviously that's, that's never a guarantee because, you know, if someone's on a gig, you can't just be like, okay, I, I want to come back. And then they're yeah, like, um, yeah. okay,
0: I'm done with what I was doing. So if you could just, um,
1: <laughs> step to the left,
0: feel free to grab your stuff later. You know, <laughs> you don't mind if I use your amp, do you? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it kind of all worked out really well, which is really fortunate and kind of like lucky that they were really cool, really understanding. Um, and then, yeah, then it was Jess Glynn And then it's just been lots of bits and pieces in between all this. You know what it's like when when people say, oh, I played with, you know, so-and-so an artist. It's like, yes, you do. But then that might be in one year, that might be that artist all year because they're really mm-hmm. busy. And then it might be the next year that you're only with them for a month or two. Sure, sure, sure. You know, sure. like a week or something crazy where you don't even, but you're technically that's your gig. And then you go in between that, you do other stuff. And I think that's just sort of how it works, isn't it, for us?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But that's, you know, look, that's, um, I want to delve into some of your background. That's really, really impressive. Like, you know, obviously you've been doing great things with great people. How does a guy from born and raised in the other side of the world find himself in London playing with, you know, some of the biggest acts of the past kind of 10 to 15 years.
1: Yeah, it's a funny kind of um, story. I mean, when you say like someone from where I'm from, like in a way it goes even further back because, you know, I was born in Sri Lanka and like I was there for the first three years of my life until my family moved to Australia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why did they move? So that's, that's a whole that's a whole another podcast. Is that, is, is that a podcast in itself? <laughs> <laughs> no, because um, basically the beginning of the civil war in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. um, our house was like just burnt to the ground and all that kind of stuff. So we, luckily we weren't there at the time. So my parents, my parents who kind of, they don't really talk about this stuff. It's only mm-hmm. been in the, maybe in the last couple of years where we've kind of been asking more questions and they've been a bit more open Um, but usually it's just been a like thing of like okay we're happy to be in australia and that's it you know
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: but um yeah we were apparently on my dad's motorbike um so (laughs) sri lankan thing you know my dad on the front my mom on the back and me and me the baby in the middle on a motorbike
0: yeah i've I've seen the videos i've seen
1: (laughs) We were coming home and obviously saw the the house from a distance that was burning and there's riots and stuff going on anyway, so wow. obviously knew that stuff wasn't right. Um, and we ended up staying with these missionaries who were from New Zealand. Mm. they managed to I think they managed to hook us up with some some my dad up with a job in in well, in Port Hedland, which is his mining town, like in the north of Western Australia. Mm-hmm. But um Yeah, man, it must have been really tough, like especially for my dad because his his dad actually died just, I think just after we left or just before we left or something. There was some thing where his dad died and he couldn't be there basically because we moved. And not only that, it was – so imagine you come to see a house is burnt down. Then you go to stay with his missionaries and a couple of days later, it's your birthday and you're – this is my dad's situation, you know. It's his birthday. You know – in wearing clothes that probably were donated from missionaries, you know, cause there was nothing and then man. then managing to feel like, okay, there's some hope we're going to Australia and then finding out your dad's died. Oh man. Yeah. It's pretty full on. I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think they probably just never talked about this stuff with us because phew, I guess I don't, don't want us to worry or, you know, a classic that generation kind of thing. But, um, Yeah, slowly, a little more uh, details are coming out more and more. So it's kind of like we'll get to the the bottom of all all of that. But yeah, so we end up in this mining town, which I can't even imagine. Like you know, my grandma walking around in the desert. In so so, it was my parents and my grandma and me that that moved.
0: Uh huh. uh -huh.
1: Imagine my grandma walking around. (laughs) In the desert in Australia, in a mining <laughs> town, you know, in the Sari. Oh you know. God! <laughs> we, I will we fully <laughs> like Sri Lankan. I think the first time my mom tells a story about the first barbecue we went to, and and, and people were like, "Bring bring a plate," and my mom brought actually brought plates. <laughs> 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 yeah, so they got those little kind of funny, funny stories like that. But like, so we were there for about two years, you know, and it's not. It's like. That town is like, it's a proper mining town, like red dirt, sand. Desert, you know, forty degree plus heat, kind of. The real outback. The outback, baby. Yeah. <laughs> outback, I think, outback. I think that's an iron ore mining town or something. It's not even like something, like yeah, it's it's diamonds. <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and then we moved to Perth, which um was the is the kind of like capital city of that state of Western Australia right 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 after a couple of years and that's where i kind of grew up for the rest of my life really
0: when did you start playing music what kind of age were you
1: yeah so i kind of um we always played music like everyone in my family plays something and so i kind of had to play piano when i was a kid my Mm -hmm. grandma not the one who came with us but my the other grandma my dad's mom she was Mm -hmm. a piano teacher so Mm -hmm. like there's this history of kind of us playing music and my, that was just a thing of like, well, if you learn piano, it's the idea of like, if you learn piano and you learn theory and stuff on piano, then if you want to play something else, you're going to find it easier, which is not necessarily obviously always the case, but it makes sense.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. I mean, because piano, piano is the king of all instruments. Everybody of instruments. That. <laughs> <laughs> Especially synthesizers. I mean, they can play every sound. So right. you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know where bass fits in on the chessboard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> if Chandler's the king, I feel like base is maybe, I don't know, maybe a rook. Yeah, I was, gonna say, I was definitely going to say it's a, yeah, good, it's rook. a good rook. <laughs> it's is a good rook. We just stand there, wait till the end of the game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just hold shit down at the yeah. back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. When everything yeah. is a bit clear, then maybe we'll branch out
1: a if little there's bit. That's a problem, we'll start moving. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when did you pick up bass then? Like, like if you started playing piano?
1: It wasn't really a planned thing. I kind of went from piano to playing saxophone for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I was playing saxophone in church and at the time we didn't have a bass player at church. So obviously the first person to be asked if they want to play bass was a saxophone player because it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. right? All single notes, right? You're doing single notes already. Just, it'll be fine. (laughs) Um, my dad used to play bass in church and stuff back in the day before that. And, um, so I kind of knew bits and pieces of it. I kind of like roughly could play a few chords on guitar, whatever. I wasn't really like, I couldn't really play, but, um, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll give this a shot, and then um, that's how I kind of started playing bass, and it all kind of kicked off from there, really.
0: And in and, and in church, were you just playing like hymns, church stuff? Was it like yeah, gospel, it Pentecostal? Like, what
1: like, was the vibe? Like Hillsong-y kind of stuff? Like you know, the, the, it was kind of um, the beginning of the the reign of hillsong, you know? right? <laughs> okay. Like okay, the worldwide <laughs> right. domination of. Uh, of yeah, Christian music, uh, right? Right. The beginning, um, so it was like the, the the early kind of part of that. But um, yes, yeah, so I kind of like learned to play in that environment. That setting was my kind mm-hmm. of school, because you know, like everyone knows, it's it's you learn so much faster when you're in a group of people, especially when you have a mixed group of people, older, younger, better players, worse players, absolutely, um, all that kind of thing. So you kind of also, you have that thing in church where you're, you're, you, you obviously you you have your songs and whatever that you learn, but everything can change at any, right. at any point, and including the keys of the songs. Depending, on, you know, it might be like someone's leading the 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 worship or whatever, and then they have to go and do something else, and someone else grabs and mic, like, starts singing. It's a good combination because you're on the edge of your abilities, but you're also you don't have the pressure of if you mess this up you're going to lose your job. You know what I mean? It's like, so I think that's always like the best place to be for learning is where you're kind of, it's not too easy because then you're not learning anything. It's not too hard where you're not actually absorbing anything. It's like that thing in between where it's like, I can kind of do this right right. at the edge here, but I need to be able to try stuff and make mistakes and, and learn from that. And kind of, and you know, just having feedback and, and being that person who was, always even from church when i started playing bands and stuff that's i I was always kind of the youngest worst player you know so it (laughs) it was really good for me to kind of like to 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 literally seek that out and be like after service or after a gig or something to be like hey what do you think i should be doing like what do you think of how i play and all this kind of stuff and and just getting good advice that way you know
0: so with your dad being a bass player,
1: was he teaching you or were you just learning literally on the job? I kind of just learned on the job. He kind of like gave me a few pointers here and there. He was like, I don't know, it's it's hard to describe. Like in my family, extended family included, everybody plays piano, guitar, and can pick up a bass and play, you know, and everybody sings, I kind of think, you know. But so my dad was never a bass player, like a bass player, bass player. He was a guy who... He would pick up whatever he needed to in church to make it work, you know. Like yeah, 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 yeah. and my mum would play keys or my mum play guitar or whatever. And my, my dad would like, yeah, it, it, he's even like led worship and stuff. And he's not that that guy to be singing, right? But it, it was just so his bass playing was that kind of bass playing, you know. It was like functional.
0: So when did you? Um, so when did you? Um, I guess, for lack of a better term leave the church and start sort of playing other type of music or so playing with other people. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, so that actually, weirdly, it all kind of happened quite fast after I started playing bass and I, I managed to like start getting gigs around town playing different like covers, bands and whatever. And um, But really proper music education, I, I went to music college after I finished school. Oh, okay, okay. and um, like that was kind of the beginning of sort of formal education in music, you know.
0: Right. Okay. So you studied at uni. I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I was there. I wouldn't say I studied so much. (laughs) (laughs) And even saying I was there, I was there for most of the time. Um, Yeah, I didn't really apply. I didn't make the most of that situation at all. I I was you know I was a kid and I kind of felt like I just want to be doing gigs and I was doing more and more gigs and I was working like pretty much every night of the week you know by by kind of end of first year uni I was working like every day and you know when you when it's like that and you're out till three in the morning and you're playing gigs and you're playing with like all the players that you think are the great players in town and there were some amazing players um I was so fortunate to be around so many amazing players in that town in Perth. Um, mm-hmm. You're like, I don't want to get up at, you know, in the morning, go to arranging class, you know, and sit there and talk about, you know, four part harmonies with horns. when I just want to be playing bass tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, I was short sighted and I kind of didn't make the most of that because it's funny, you know. Now I'm finding myself like especially in this time, like you're talking about this lockdown pro- productivity situation, I'm filling in so many gaps in my playing that I could have just, you know, already had down if I'd spent more time back then working, right. them, you know, right, 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 right. Well, and it's yeah. one of those things that I think, you know, people don't tell you when you, well, maybe they do it. Maybe they're more aware of this kind of thing. But for me, I just thought, um, I I didn't see studying music as, the whole complete package that it actually is and what you can actually get out of it. You know, I didn't realize that. Yeah. You learn that, that, that stuff, but, and you can, you can go really in in depth on all of it and get the most you can out of it at that time, but it's still going to take you years to filter through that knowledge, you know, it's sure. still going to take years for it to fully, um, take root in who you are and how you play and all that kind of stuff. It just, it, well, that's the way I see it anyway. Cause it's like, there's so many things where, you think, oh, I understand that concept. And then you're like, it's not until you really get it that you're like, oh, wow. That's right, that's right, that's wow, right. That's really deep. And it's just changed the whole way you appreciate someone's playing or whatever, you know what I mean? The, yeah, those yeah, moments That just always happening. I think that's kind of like one of the most exciting things about music and one of the most humbling things is that you're always in that beginner kind of position
0: well I think that's a great position to be in I think that's one of the
1: best positions to be in if possible because
0: it's like I'm not
1: gonna you know it's it's almost a relief to think like well it doesn't matter how much I practice and work I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the person who's practiced and worked more than I don't know John Coltrane or whatever I'm not gonna make the music that he's made (laughs) So it's freedom in a way to be to find what that is for yourself but but at the same time, it's like realizing there is no end goal, because if you look at someone like that or whoever you want to think of as, you know, an example of a legend of music, mm-hmm. they didn't get to, to a point where they were like, yeah, cool. OK, I've completed this now. You know, right, right, like, right, right. It's not like you can even get to like, like, say with sport, like a Michael Jordan kind of thing where it's like, OK, nobody's done this better than me. You know, you don't really get that in music because can you compare like Coltrane to McCartney? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, don't get me started. Don't get me started. (laughs) They're completely different. They cannot be compared and you can't
0: say one's better than the other. You know, yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you could. It just wouldn't <laughs> necessarily be. Yeah. You, you could have a debatable argument. It's, it's debate. It's you know. Th- that's a whole other thing. As I'm saying, that's a podcast in itself. Shit.
1: But um. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's like that's exciting and it's kind of like it's cool to like um to be to be working on stuff like like what I'm doing now where it's literally like I you know I open a page and I'm like. How do I even do this? You know, <laughs> I have to, like work it out and spend a week on it before you start to go, okay, I think I understand what's happening here.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. What were you
1: like, I mean, at that
0: kind of time, so I guess you're you're a teenager, you've, you know, you started playing the instrument, you obviously chose to go to, um, uni and study music what were your ambitions at that particular time in terms of what you wanted out of music and who were your inspirations you know what, what were you thinking music yeah, i was really time?
1: weirdly i was thinking that like i wanted to be a session musician i know that's like right. a weird ambition to have for a teenager but i don't know i saw able boy play, play i was just like i want to be like that i want to have that kind of bring that vibe to to a gig and mm-hmm. be able to go from one gig to another to another and be playing different people's music all the time. I think I really liked that idea from early on. Um,
0: right. And what type of musicians really inspired you at that particular time?
1: Man, I didn't even know because I feel like I wasn't... I'm almost someone who at that time I was into playing music Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I was into music, if that makes sense. Like, I, obviously, I was, and I was listening to music. <laughs> but I wasn't like, I wasn't like, you know, the people who people who are like music, um, like libraries. You know, you just they just know every record and it's like I was never that guy. Like, who would be kind of looking through, lining note. I'll just be listening to stuff that I liked, and so you were down. kind of were very open. Yeah, I, I'm because I wasn't really kind of. I don't know i would i would earmark players like say like abel boreal mm-hmm. michelle cello as being my two kind of at that time biggest influences
0: michelle and cello oh man yeah. yeah
1: but i wouldn't that's as far as it would go like i wouldn't say i wouldn't say a particular artist you know like Sly and Stone, who i was also listening to a lot of time i wouldn't say that that was like a huge influence on me. It was just one of the things that I was listening to because I was listening to it and, and I was just more into kind of, I don't know. It's weird. I haven't actually thought about this, but it's, it's, I think I was just into playing,
0: how were you find, like, how will you find them? Because I know they, they, I'm sure they didn't have Spotify and shit
1: like that. How were you kind of was, getting your music? were from you... people in bands that I was playing with. Like, as I'd been the youngest person in the band, other bass players, I remember um, this guy, Roy Martinez, who's like this incredible bass player of Perth. Like, he made a bunch of tapes for me, like mixtapes, you know. Right, like, right, right. And it was a lot of that, like a lot of tapes, mixtapes. Right, um,
0: right. So people just kind of sharing things, just kind of like passing on stuff and just kind of you, you I guess you were kind of being a sponge to the people around you as
1: well. Yeah. And, and I was always, I'm still, am that guy who, which is sort of changing now, but I've been a slow kind of adapter to things like Spotify and whatever, because I'm one of those listen to an album for months guys.
0: I love doing that too I mean you mentioned Michelle Leone Cello man I must have I must have listened to Cookie um, you know that one the anthropological, yeah. anthropological mixtape I must have I, I mean I feel like I've listened to that album more than any other album that I've ever listened to and if somebody was to say to me are you a big like Michelle fan I, I, I would probably say yeah but it's not something I think about a lot but just that particular album I've just rinsed like over the I could put that shit on like now and that's just want it's the way it's, I could listen to it from top to bottom like right now
1: like, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one of those kind of records there's, there's, that's always been kind of my thing but then I think there's something exciting about dipping in and out of things you know there's like I think for us being of the generation that we are whatever like there was it's almost like it was a weird thing the kind of um things being singles and like not being really into an artist until you really checked out this album or whatever yeah I exactly mean, yeah, yeah. it's kind of just nonsense really isn't it but um but at the same time i find it hard to kind of dip in and out of things sure i, mean, totally sure, I sure. Can, like attach myself to for a while and just be, like just yeah just go really deep into because i feel like again it's like we're talking about with with practice or like any concepts in music it's like you can learn it in the same way you can listen to a song. But to actually get everything you can get out of that song, it kind of, it takes a bit more time. You know, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. absolutely. And
1: you can listen to one song, go on to the next one, go on to the next one, go on to the next one. That's fine. But then you're always only in that first layer of depth with each yeah. one. Unless you're one of these crazy people who have like ridiculous ears and can just like deconstruct everything, off, you know, <laughs> after a few listens or whatever but I've never been that guy so it's kind of like for me but also I enjoy that process of of deconstruction and kind of those moments where you think you know a song and then you listen again you're like whoa this is like taking on a whole new meaning today you know yeah 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 absolutely no I think that only comes with like taking sort of like a shovel to the ground and kind of like digging
0: deep you know yeah 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 absolutely digging in the dirt you have to you have to so how did you um how did you make the transition from you know a guy studying a guy playing in local bands um you know nightly weekly whatever um how did you transition that into becoming a professional how did you you know how did that happen
1: yeah so like i mean by that point i was already kind of making a living like from music but it was just like the kind of living that you can make from Kicking around town you know right and also sort of i didn't have crazy expenses or whatever i think mm-hmm. i moved out of home i think second year uni or something so but even mm-hmm. that it was like it was it, perth in the early 2000s it wasn't super expensive you know Right. Right. And that meant that gig money was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Man, I can, I can eat up for this for the next month. I'm great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All um, the noodles I could ever have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such a gangster because everything was like cash and whatever back then. Right. 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 Yeah, obviously you have to like, you know, do what you have to do with it, but it was just weird. Just always having cash, you know, uh, well, um,
0: did you put in a rubber band?
1: No, <laughs> money clip. Money clip. <laughs> yeah, money clip. <laughs> oh, then I sort of, sort of got into my own bands. Two, two um, one band, and then that one folded, and then another one after that. So, like the first one was like um, kind of signed by this small label in Perth, and we kind of did a bunch of touring which was really cool. That's my first experience of touring mm-hmm. um, around Australia and, and New Zealand. We did a bunch of tours, like 10 tours or something. First few was all driving. So that was like, it was a mission, but we didn't care. We were having fun and we were young and it was like, you know, staying at fans' houses and stuff like that. It was nothing fancy at all. Um, right, right. And really not really making any money or anything off that. So it was kind of just to kind of, build the band, I suppose. And then mm-hmm. that, that, that broke up. And then with two of the members of that band, I formed another band. Mm-hmm. And, um, those guys were actually from London. Well, they they were born in London kind of grew up the first few years of their life here. Mm-hmm. And they always wanted to put a band together and, and move back. Right. So that was the band to do it for them. So they were like, do you want to come with us? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, what was the band that, called? What was the band called? That band was called Outfit Faux. Mm-hmm, F-A-U-X, mm-hmm. Outfit Faux. Um, oh, right. I don't think you'll find any of the uh, music. <laughs> but yeah, right. it, was, it was all right. But um, So yeah, because I always had it in my head that I had to move out of Perth because I knew that I couldn't really do what I wanted to do um, from there. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and also the other thing was seeing musicians around who I thought, and it's been confirmed since I've moved and kind of like, um, had hand experience with musicians like here in America, or whatever, these guys were world-class musicians, but they were never on any gigs or anything because of where they were, you know? Right, 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 um, right. I was like, yeah, it doesn't even matter if you're good. Like, it doesn't mean that, you know, someone's going to magically find you. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially then because it was pre. I mean, that was like the that was like MySpace era, you know. Right, right, right. It's right. not like anybody's really going to find you and be like, "Oh wow, I've seen this kid on MySpace." Like, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you could even upload videos like back then. Anyway, of yourself playing, could you <laughs> take five? No, yeah, I did on MySpace.
0: <laughs> I think you put like three or four songs. That was all you yeah. could do, if I recall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, MySpace is still going, right? In what form? Like, what's I Listen, it? dog, like I was like, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Somebody sent me something the other day and it was like, oh, we'll go to MySpace. I was like, MySpace? <laughs> right? And I went to MySpace and yeah. it's still going in some form. It's still like whatever the fuck it was. It's still there. I guess just nobody uh, is there. Do you know what I mean? I guess it's like like an old frontier town like, that you go to and there's yeah. nobody there <laughs> no more. But MySpace is still there, shit. Wow,
1: that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big thing. We were like, "Wow, this is this is this is the way to get your music everywhere in the world." You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. When they hear these four songs, it's yeah. over. No. Lives. but so so. You started this while well, you were in this band, outfit foe. Were you guys doing things in Australia? Were you recording?
1: Really. Were you- we just recorded a bunch of stuff. Um, we just kind of put put it together purely with the idea of coming here or bringing it here. It was pretty hectic the last sort of a few months before we left we were recording um we were also building flat cases <laughs> we were also doing like day jobs like in this warehouse and trying to do gigs at night just basically just trying to get as much money as possible before we came um sure. so yeah it was very much like a um team no sleep kind of situation which was really fun and exciting but our good friend um Don montaone he was like the guy who who had this ama- he has this amazing studio in Perth and he's an incredible engineer he's got just, just all the gear in the world right. and he's right. like right. um massively experienced and really cool guy but um he was helping us out heaps making the case the poor guy like i mean he started like getting like chest pains and stuff because <laughs> we were just up all night with him building stuff because he had this huge space so he was like helping us build the flight cases and he had he was he is a guy you know those guys who can always get deals right, right, like, hey, right. So whenever we need to buy stuff he'd get a deal on our shipping he'd go and talk to people about the shipping and how you know he's like no 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 i know a guy who's gonna help us out and like <laughs> oh you need to get this app so let's go and talk to so-and-so who owns this store and i'll get you a deal and i'm literally in auctions with him buying gear you know <laughs> like wow, wow. Like he helps out so much like above and beyond like is just the biggest understatement with that guy it's really cool i, I still I still like every time i go back to perth i hang out with him so what kind of music were you guys doing that was like a three-piece indie rock kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and yeah so we kind of um hustle to get as much music together and and as much gear together as possible so because we wanted to come here as well and be able to keep working and in, in terms of like recording and, and writing and stuff like that so kind of wanted to set ourselves up so we could do that is
0: that the kind of music you were playing before had you grown up playing that like no, you... that
1: was like I don't even know how that happened but the band before that was like a jammaquay kind of funk thing like with horns and stuff mm-hmm. and then this band coming out of that was just different because I think at that time I was, this we were all listening. Well, we, the three of us started listening to different stuff, you know, outside of that, that kind of funky kind of like the, the kind of the lineage that comes from jazz world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, and looking at that other kind of branch of the family tree that came out and went into rock and roll and kind of like, ended where it was at that point, which was w- with bands like Ready Ahead, you know, that we were listening to and, um, and getting into at the time. And, um, and yeah, that, that just sort of came out of that. It was one of those things like we don't have an idea of what we want to be, but we, you know, we want to just try different stuff. And that's kind of what it ended up being.
0: And um, were you involved in the writing or were you just kind of playing bass? Yeah.
1: So how it worked was everyone was involved in writing, but then the, the guy who was a singer was, was, was writing melodies and lyrics, so like the right. actual music was everybody's kind of collaborative um, effort. But you know, he was the songwriter. You know, right, right, uh, right, right. Yeah. So then th- that kind of music just came out of what we were listening to at the time, really. Right, right,
0: right. And what was your what was your plan like coming to London? Like, what, what were you planning and hoping to do?
1: <laughs> yeah, just basically take over. You know. Just be like, (laughs) take over, take over the world, right? Yeah, and then um, that didn't happen. But um, (laughs) (laughs) it was tough. Like again, the same thing. Like working day jobs, we managed to wrangle this space in this warehouse, um, where this guy let us have a room, and um, it was basically this. um, It used to be a plastic bag factory. Mm-hmm. and the guy who owned it had left it to his sons. And it was a classic situation of one son wanting to me- to develop it and make it into flats, which it is now flats, but um, the other son being like, no, I want it to be like this creative okay. space where he had like this guy building a boat in the ground floor and then this artist who had all the painting stuff and everything in the top floor and then we had a room on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. And he didn't charge anyone for anything. He was just like, I just want this space to be used for creative things. Wow, um, you got his number? Like,
0: is he still around?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a shame, you know, going back there. Actually, it, it was it, one of those things right um, in London Bridge, like uh, t- just off Tower Bridge on like wow. the, the south side of mm-hmm. Tower Bridge, I think yeah south side and um it even then it was like all these cool buildings like well i say cool i mean like new buildings and then this one old warehouse with this like rattly gate that you have to like move to get in it was the last thing but now it's it's all been developed and i don't know what it is now but so it's all, it's all been built up but yeah so we managed to get that space and we had all our gear in there and like um so we could re- rehearse and record and write at night mm-hmm. and, and um and work in the day, which takes its toll, man. When you're like, especially, I think it doesn't, if you're going somewhere, if you're getting places and like, you feel like, okay, we're making progress. But when you go a couple of years where it's like, yeah, we're not really getting anywhere with this. It's really, it's like, sure,
0: it's time. I (laughs) I always feel like it's a, you you got three years with a project. I feel like if it doesn't get, if it doesn't happen by then, it's like, it becomes like, I feel like emotionally, financially, but then also emotionally, it gets, it's just too, really gets hard for people to carry yeah. on if you don't see any kind of movement at that stage. Definitely.
1: Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, as well, for us, it was like, it's a new country, you know, it was like that whole thing of moving to a new place, you know, that that in itself is hard. So yeah, absolutely. Added more difficulties on, which we thought we were capable of kind of dealing with, and I think... To we kind of did deal with it as best we could but it was just all a bit much i think in, in the end
0: so at that particular time how did you find the scene in london in terms of um musically what did you think about it and what were your kind of thoughts on what you wanted to do within
1: it outside of the band i guess yeah i think um i think i had like a Maybe like a simplistic view of it. I don't know. I didn't really fully understand it because it didn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't work it out because it was in, it seemed to be in like very separate blocks, you know, like the right. original band thing and then like, and then like, like the session thing. But then mm-hmm. within the session thing, it split into like top thing and the other thing, you know, and there didn't seem to be like, A kind of a pool where everybody all the musicians were right 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 i didn't see the kind of the links between things in it but i mean it is kind of like that isn't it really it's kind of separate but yeah i guess every every, it's like every world is like a is an island in of itself and i've never experienced that i've never experienced something of that size in terms of a music scene you know my music scene i was from everyone knew everyone because it was small
0: right right. so
1: like that was a bit kind of daunting I think that kind of the idea of like how do I even like do this and I think really the only thing that kind of got me through was just that ignorance of it because I didn't really understand it I was just like well I've just got to just like do it you know (laughs) Just just like get into it and just like be as good as I can and that's it like Right, that's how it works, and Absolutely. that experience kind of like kind of worked for me because I think if I'd thought, okay, this is how it works, and I need a plan, I did I never had a plan. It was just like I just got to play.
0: How did you feel about your playing at that stage? Because I imagine you would have, you know, coming from one part of the world and doing different types of music and playing with different players and you know seeing different people
1: in the UK. How did you feel about your playing at that stage? I felt good. I mean, I felt like I. I don't know where it came from. Again, maybe it's like a, another form of ignorance, but I was just like quite comfortable and happy to, to be playing in most situations. Mm-hmm, Even mm-hmm. if I was um, out of my depth and maybe that came from, yeah, actually come to think of it. It probably came from the fact that I came from an environment where there wasn't any competition. Right. So if you did get up and play somewhere and you sucked, people would tell you, but it wouldn't be like a, a problem, you know? Right. 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 Um, or, and then you laugh about it and you'd start to like work on that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I've just brought that with me, that kind of like ignorant kind of, um, maybe I shouldn't keep saying ignorant, but you know, that, <laughs> that, you know what I mean That like, you know, when you're young and you're kind of like, you don't really fully understand something, therefore you believe you can do anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's like well, you don't know what you don't know, kind of thing. Right. So it's like yeah. it's like that. Um,
1: yeah. it definitely, would be different if I if I came here now. Right, I'd be like man, I, don't even, I can't do this. You know? <laughs> right, I think the word is
0: fearless, man. You're yeah. fearless,
1: yeah. But but it's it's. I think there's a difference between being fearless when you because you know you can take everyone on. Yeah, and yeah. being fearless because you just have no idea if you could <laughs> know I mean?
0: <laughs> fearless, foolish, who knows?
1: It's <laughs> like the the the, the, like the what's it what's it called? Like the main lion, the main dude in the the pride king. I don't think it's the, uh, the alpha he's male. Alpha, whatever. Yeah. He's, he's fearless. Cause he's like, he's had, he's been in a lot of scraps. He knows yeah, yeah, yeah. He can beat all these young guys, but then these young guys are like, I don't even know. I'm just going to give it a shot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, right, right. I had that second type of fearlessness I think, at the time.
0: So he was like young Simba going out into the yeah, sure. badlands. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right I got it I got it so uh, so, so okay so you you've come over with the originals band that um is making I guess like indie type of music yeah. it's not working out you've been doing it a few years yeah what made you decide or how did you decide to get into the session scene or start or try your hand at that how did that transition it was just you?
1: a really 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 simple thing of like okay what do I do now you know and um even then i didn't have a plan <laughs> you know i didn't have a plan at all. <laughs> it was just um, my friend Jared, he Jared, um Pizzata, he's a drummer from perth um who i'd played with a bunch in perth and he takes yeah, he'd also me, moved to london he's in london yeah and he was like dude i'm going to this audition where they're looking for um rhythm sections so do you want to come play with me so i was like yeah that makes a lot of sense let's do it um you know, I wasn't invited to the audition. You were in charge of the audition. <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> I you, definitely you. I remember you looking at your clipboard quizzically like, and I think <laughs> you she said to me, you were like, wait, wait who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah I'm just done um, with Jared. Is it cool
0: if I just played? Like, yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I remember that 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 well. I mean, I think that – um. Yeah, ironically, I, the reason I, one of the reasons I remember that well and why it's great to have you on is this like that was I think you were the first musician that I actually chose myself because that was my first experience of MDN and I remember setting up this kind of th- th- I think the thing with the clipboard. Ironically, I didn't know any mu- I did know some musicians but I didn't really know that many at that particular time. I was a musician and I'd been playing and gigging and touring, but I didn't make being a MD or anything. I didn't make it my business to know who was doing what. I I didn't know who the scenes were. So to be honest, a lot of people help me compile those lists. So that's why it had to be organized like that because I got a lot of the names from other people. So um, that was my only way of keeping track of who was coming and who wasn't because I didn't know who the fuck was coming.
1: I didn't know anybody really. (laughs) I knew like a few people. That that really works in my favor because, you know, going back to your question about how I got into whatever you want to call the scene here musically, it was made, made a lot easier by the fact that you didn't know anyone. <laughs> really? like, so you, it was someone. I had an opportunity to play in front of someone mm-hmm. who had ears and wasn't like, well, I know my guys. I know how I'm going to get for these gigs anyway. So like, I just want to hear a few other people. You know, it wasn't that. So like, it gave me the opportunity of kind of like not having to be, you know, that 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 thing of kind of who you know thing. In sure, you. sure. Actually, it wasn't a thing sure. at that time at all. So it kind of like really man i don't know what would have happened if that was a different set up you know if if um you know at that time who you know if mike stevens was was doing it and i didn't know him at all yeah would, yeah like, yeah even let me play i don't know do you know what i mean like it's yeah. one of things where, um sliding door kind of moment but um
0: I mean, I yeah, I, I remember. I, I I definitely remember. I had very open ears at that particular time because I didn't know what I was listening for, or who I was listening for, and I remember. Um, I remember, like, um, I just remember thinking to myself, "Yeah, drum is cool, but who the fuck is playing that bass? Like, who? who <laughs> like, like." what is going on with this bass player? And it was like, yo, it, was, it just, it just struck me straight away. And I think it was almost like an aha moment for me too. Cause it was like the first time I realized, cause I didn't know if if it was something I'd be able to really do. You know, ah, yeah. like, MD, And it was like, I was like, Oh, wait a second. I can tell the difference. I do know yeah. what's going on. And I remember really kind of picking up on that. So yeah. Um, yeah. how did you, so, so, so obviously you approached that particular audition, I guess with an open mind and an open kind of, <laughs> attitude to, to the whole thing
1: in a way again like perfect storm kind of situation i i just was like i don't even care anymore like i'm just gonna give this a shot i'm gonna I'm, i didn't feel any pressure of like okay i need to know this i was just like i'm just gonna go and, and play how i play just be me if it happens it happens if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen whatever not in a dismissive kind of way in a way of like yeah. i know i can't like i think i even then I kind of knew myself well enough to know when I'm kind of maximizing my potential is when I'm just being myself. You know I, mean? sure, sure, I think because, um, you know, I think, I think it's cool to kind of, to be able to do lots of different things, but no one really can do lots of different things that well. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone yeah, has yeah. a thing where it's like, that's their thing. They do that better than, they do every other thing that they do, you know? So I knew like, well, I'm just going to go and play. this. Unless unless you're like Prince
0: or Stevie Wonder or like somebody like
1: that. Yeah. But then even that would, would, how would Prince actually, no, he'd probably been sick in it. Like I was going to say, what what would a writing session with like Kurt Cobain and Prince be like, but actually you would probably been amazing.
0: If Kurt Cobain and Prince made a record, it would have been fucking banging. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Wow. That's actually, that's actually a bit mad yeah that would be crazy so yeah i kind of just took that approach and because of the state of things um in terms of the rest of my life with the band and and everything like that work-wise it was like what else am i gonna do i just got to do this and try and it doesn't work i was i was fully prepared at that point just to get a job and just carry on with my life you know
0: Really? So was it, was it that, was it literally that kind of make or break?
1: It's like, it like you, break um, that one day, yeah. but in terms of like you're saying with music, I was like, well, this is, this is actually the, the the time when you prove to yourself, actually, if you, if you are what you think you are, like if you think you can do this, this is mm-hmm. to actually prove it now in this next year, put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like if, otherwise if it doesn't, then, all that means is that you're not good enough. You should be doing something else.
0: But but I mean, suffice to say that that all worked out. Do you know what I mean? You um you got that particular gig. Um, yeah. you were then playing with a band who were um a successful pop band in the UK at that particular time. So you were gigging, doing lots of things. Um, how did you then? You know, how did you then move on to doing other gigs and sort of like branching out on that? Like, how, how did that kind of because obviously I, I guess it's it's one thing starting a career, but then it's like or starting a new career, but how did the kind of um, your career as a bass player and as a session player? How did that build, and how did you kind of build that?
1: So another friend of mine from Perth, uh, Graham Blevins, saxophone player, he was um, he was playing with Kylie at the time, and mm-hmm. he put my name into the hat in terms of that music directors would look were would music directing this guy Christoph Willem, this French singer that I mentioned before, mm-hmm. and he kind of put my hat my my name in the hat as, as as people who they could check out in the auditions and whatever, so mm-hmm. I, I, they contacted me. I went to the audition um, and managed to get that like, gig with um, with Tom Meadows, the drummer who played with Kylie as well. So we basically we did Christoph mm-hmm. two thousand and nine, I think, and then that same year they started to do stuff with Kylie. And so, like, the, the music director just put me and Tom onto the Kylie gig. As kind of like a trial, like we did a few gigs, kind of like auditioning, kind of gigs. TV, I think we did Jonathan Ross, and did this like um, this gig out in Egypt, like in front of the pyramids. It was actually pretty mad. Oh <laughs> wow! The audition wow. gig, you know, it's pretty crazy. But um,
0: so you guys, so you, so you got the Kylie gig without auditioning,
1: or was it just yeah? Because oh, our wow. audition was kind of the audition that we did for Christoph, right, we right, right. And also, we'd been working with. With them, so like Steve Anson was out with us in France for the most of the time that we were working there.
0: So, you and the drummer were yeah. already playing with an artist, Christopher Willem. Yeah. The music yeah. director who was music directing Christopher Willem yeah. was also then music directing Kylie. Yes. He took you from that gig exactly. onto that gig, exactly right. Right, yeah. okay, okay, yeah. okay, it's, it's okay, that's fantastic. And then, and of course, you did that for eight years, um, yeah. and I, I guess amongst lots of other things, but um. Just out of curiosity, um, what is your sort of like feeling and approach to auditions? What is your process with that? Because it would seem yeah. as if you've done a few important ones that have gotten you important gigs.
1: I could claim that I could give advice about auditions only because I have been fortunate to not have to have done a lot of them. Like, so Sugar Babes, Christoph, we did one for Jess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have done like maybe one or two others. But it seems like all the ones you've
0: done, you've gotten. So so that's a good thing. So you must be doing something
1: right in those auditions. Like like what I described before, that hasn't changed. Like I literally, I don't allow myself to think about getting the gig or not getting the gig. I just go and play because really, actually, if we're honest, you don't know what people are looking for.
0: You, mm-hmm,
1: know? Mm-hmm. you can go in and be like the best player on the day, hands down, but not get the gig for another reason. You know, it can happen in, especially yeah. in the world, you know, so none of that can be taken personally. None of that can be a thing of like, Oh man, I should have got that gig. And when people say that, I just, you know, what I don't actually even respond because it's, I just think it's, so silly. <laughs> it's actually like listening to little kids talk about stuff in playgrounds. Cause it's like, it's so, <laughs> so, so silly when people get upset about auditions? Well, yeah, because I think that you know, well, auditions in of
0: themselves are like, you know, they're quite like awkward events. Hmm. So, um, everybody feels a little bit weird in them, including the people holding the audition. So nobody really, yeah, exactly. and, and oftentimes people don't know what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and you know, Did you remember so many,
1: Jess's audition?
0: I do remember I, Jess's audition very
1: well. Sure. I will. It's basically, um, Obviously, you know, so I'm just basically retelling you a story that just went around to benefit. But so the audition is at whatever time. I turn up there. I walk into the room. You're sitting there. Jess, I think her um, choreographer. Oh, yeah, that's what yeah, of the other. Yeah. Jolene was there, who's like her creative director.
0: Mm-hmm. They're all sitting
1: there. I walk in, I just start chatting, <laughs> <I> start talking <laughs> straight away because so I'm thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm doing my audition, yeah. and everyone's like, okay, cool, yeah, nice to meet. And then Jess is like, could you just give us like ten more minutes because we're just and she pointed and and you are in the middle of auditioning male BVS as well. <laughs> That's <There's> a dude <laughs> I didn't even notice <laughs> was mic in the middle of the room. <laughs> I don't even I, remember I, that I, I, I yeah, um, I'll tell you what I'll give you guys I'm going to go out I'll give you guys like- <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. I think it's good to
0: embrace that though I think that like I think from my point of view it's like I think sometimes people think that people have to understand that auditions happen for different reasons for different people at different times. Sometimes you're auditioning for the MD. Sometimes you're auditioning for the artist. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you're auditioning for the label. Sometimes you're, do you know what I mean? Sometimes you're, mission, you're auditioning for a mixture of both, but it's like, you can't really, um, you can't really legislate for it. And it's just one of these necessary evils. Like um, I think for my, like sometimes people will want me to just give them gigs because I know them, but it's like, well, I know you, but it's like, they don't know you and that seems to matter to them. So they need to see you. So it's like, Obviously, like I always find it awkward when I have to essentially audition people that I already know are great yeah. and I already know are good. And so, in a lot of occasions, like in your case, I'm auditioning a friend. How is that for you, yeah. like auditioning for somebody or, or, you know, that you already know, that you already worked with, and probably half a dozen different
1: kids? Yeah, what you're saying is exactly it, though. It's like yeah. another thing that I think that musicians kind of, um, we, we, we can. Sometimes get precious about these kind of things. And I think it's silly because actually, if you see the context of it, and it's like at that point, what was that, three, four years ago? You know, I'd already known you for 10 years and we've worked together for that long, you know? (laughs) So it's not like I'm on the phone to you going, dude, why the fuck do I need to come audition for you, man? This is not cool. Because I understand that. But some people have that attitude, though. Right. That's that's another thing that doesn't make sense. It's It's like, I know. This is not that because it's not like. Yeah, you, yeah. Also, you probably called all the musicians that came in that day, which means you know all of them and how they play. Exactly. So obviously, this is not about you. On that, it's podcast. not about me. <laughs> me coming to the audition it isn't like oh, coach is disrespecting me kind of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I don't see it that way because it's like I can kind of understand that. Like, oh, see, see if it was me and I was the artist. I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to meet everyone in my band I mean, before they come on the road with me, before I share like tour bus times and backstage times and, and stage times with this person. Are they going to be cool? Am I going to get along with this person? Of course I want to meet this person and see, obviously see how they play and see what they're like as a, as a human being. Like,
0: Absolutely. But I think that having a healthy attitude or a healthy opinion of the audition process in general is a really good thing to have. I think it's obviously helped you because you've, Got you know the auditions you've done you've gotten but i think that it's important to have that because um if you don't have that sometimes it kind of spills into the room like people can tell straight away when like oh what's this person's problem why they got attitude or or whatever you (laughs) know what i mean and it's like i think being able to see through that and take it for what it is is something that um is good advice for anybody entering auditions, you know, yeah. and just understanding that it's just part of a process. And again, like you said, it's like, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't, it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your playing. I mean, there's tons yeah. of people that have gotten gigs because of, you know, it might've just, they might just needed a certain type of person for a particular yeah. job. You just never know.
1: Totally. You know? Yeah. Mm. I think that like, it's almost like getting a gig, isn't really the kind of um the the goal in a way it's like you it's working long term is the goal absolutely Absolutely. because anyone can get a gig for any situation like you're saying like it might even be like oh i'm i can't really play but i'm best mates with someone who now is a huge artist and i'm playing in their band yeah 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 but you're not going to get any more gigs after
0: that. No, that's right. I, I think, I think getting a gig is one thing. Keeping a gig is a whole other thing. And then getting gigs repeatedly is a whole other thing in yeah. itself. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that, um, yeah, you, you, have to kind of make sure you're ticking the right boxes. There's definitely.
1: To- that, um, that, um, that false impression, that, I luckily learned the lesson really early on with, with sugar babes. Like we both did at the same time, which was like, mm. you, you know, you get on the gig and you know, it's all exciting and you get sent all these dates and you know, you, you, you your in-ears are being made. <laughs> it's all, yeah. it. it's all go. And then like a few months later, the band breaks up, you know, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. wait a second. All those dates are canceled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, thought, I thought I was set here for a while, at least, you yeah. know, and then you realize, oh, okay, this is how this works. You, you, yeah. Like, not to say that you shouldn't commit to gigs. I, I'm a fun believer that you should commit to gigs, mm-hmm. um, but because that's that's I feel like where you get the most out of situation, and, and people get the most out of you as well. But, Absolutely. But you can never be like, okay, cool, I'm set now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sure. 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 So it's like no, being
1: able to like bounce back after that thing starts to slow down to look around and, and go, okay what needs to happen next because absolutely yeah
0: and how would you say um i guess from a musical perspective you know you've kind of played with lots of different people at different times different genres how do you adapt your bass playing to um different gigs different situations different musicians how does Mm -hmm. that work for you
1: it's a good question i think um weirdly the process goes back to what i was describing with the 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 one album over and over again kind of time that kind of process for me is the same thing well i spend a lot of time listening to the stuff that i'm going to be playing Mm -hmm. and i think that informs my playing more Mm -hmm. than obviously there's a level where it's analytical to a degree Mm -hmm. but i think that has to be really subtle because if you yeah. get too analytical, then then stuff stop stops sounding like music, you know, and yeah, it's not the feelings is gone, you know. So you kind of like, it's more just like catching catching a vibe. Like I remember, even back in the days when I used to play in church when I was a kid, I used to listen to Abel Boy on the way to church just to catch wow. that vibe. Wow, listening wow. to what he was playing any kind of like cool little licks or whatever that he did or anything just for that feeling and like going, Mm -hmm. okay, I want to do that. I want to make that happen here. And I don't think obviously with time and experience and stuff like that, you, you work out, okay, this music needs this instrument. I need to play this kind of bass and I need to get this kind of sound and work on, you know, stuff like that. But in terms of actual what I play, Mm -hmm. it's more of an instinctual thing. Mm -hmm. that comes from immersing yourself in that music. Does that make sense? Does that sound like it's too like broad? I don't know. It's, I don't really have a specific process, but that's essentially what happens. I just listen to the stuff heaps. If
0: you had to, how would you describe yourself as a player?
1: Hmm. Um, I would like to describe myself as just like, a feel player, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because like, for example, the music that, um, that we were playing with Ed, like it's very different to say Jess's music, that being the gig that I had before this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but genre wise, I don't think that it should affect anything. I just want to make things feel good as possible, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's my main kind of thing, like feel player. I wouldn't say, it's anything deeper than that, you
0: know? No, no, I think that's, I mean, I think that's a great thing. I think feel is the most important thing yeah. in music for me. I, I'll take feel of a technique any day. So yeah. That's just,
1: that's and just me. And that's the same as like, if we actually think about it, think about the people that you love listening to. Obviously this is different for everyone, but like for me, I can't really go to a gig that is very technical. Right. and spend a lot of time watching it because I right. feel physically tired. Like I, it takes too much out of me. It's like, it's too much, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can, yeah, no, I exactly. to like where it feels great and not want to leave. It's different. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I just want to recreate that.
0: You know. Yeah, different. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And do you have any particular types of drummers you like to work with?
1: Hmm. It's a good question. It's really funny because I feel like every drummer that I've played with even mm-hmm. if they're a drummer who um, there isn't a natural kind of um, instant um, like gel, gelling situation between us. Mm-hmm. It's always, you always get something good out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, if you kind of scratch the surface and actually like take time to like um, work out where each of you are, doing things and how, what type of player that player is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause I think early on, I, especially I used to just like play how I played and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't really edit that, but I think there is a sensitivity that you need to be able to kind of like compromise, but not compromise, if that makes it compromise on, on how you play, but not on the feel of it. Because actually when you add it up together, Mm-hmm. It ends up being better if that makes sense. I don't
0: know. No, but I always, I always find that interesting because I know bass players and um, drummers. It's such a well, the rhythm section is so important to any band. Mm-hmm. But um, I find a lot of bass players are very specific, not specific, but they they know what they like in drummers, and drummers know what they like in bass players. Um, and I think that building a, a strong rhythm section is a real important part of any band. Really,
1: I, I kind of like to see what happens to my playing with a drummer that. I don't naturally get on with, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I see, oh, actually this is making me play like this, which is kind of cool because it's completely mm-hmm. way to how I normally play and, and whatever. Um, you know, even, even, okay. Think about, um, a good example is, is Ed's band because his drummer is like, um, this guy from New Orleans, um, who plays that, that kind of vibe, you know, that, earthy kind of New Orleansy kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on some stuff that's like really kind of heavy rocky kind of stuff and then some stuff that's quite electronic and then this stuff you know so it's kind of like it's really cool what ends up happening when you add those ingredients together
0: yeah 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 it gives it a different feel it gives yeah. it a whole different flavor yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so it comes
0: to yeah. life but back on the music side of things, what what sort of things are you sort of doing now? I know you've started doing some remote recording and things of yeah. that nature. Like how do you see developing your career as a bass player over the next, you know, few years or whatever?
1: I think it's going to be more of that stuff, which is actually really cool. It's weird I was talking to um to our friend Kenji the other day um about, you know, how things are for everyone now and all this kind of stuff. And weirdly for me, I feel like this way of working, in terms of mm-hmm. like studio sessions working mm-hmm. this way, actually works mm-hmm. a lot better for me mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because someone will send you something and and you you won't have someone sitting next to you while oh, you're yeah. trying to come up with a part and yeah. you can come up with, you can try all kinds of crazy things and leave it for a bit go into the you know into your kitchen yeah 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 something like have the music in your head and come back and listen to it again, you know, it's a different process. I think that I feel like, because I'm not like a super experienced studio guy at all. Like most mm-hmm. of the stuff I've done is live. Mm-hmm. I've done very minimal kind of studio stuff. Yeah. I've done mm-hmm. whatever, but like, um, you know, I'm not one of those guys who like these studio guns, you know, who's like, here something once and the, the part they come up with is just perfect and they can put, nail it the first time. And it's like, you know what I mean? I've never, that's a different school to what I've been a part mm-hmm. of. Um, so it's kind of, it's really been nice to have this other side of this musical education where it's like, Oh man, actually you can get away with a whole lot when you play playing live, even if you play okay, yeah. all the time, you know, because you're not listening back to it a thousand times afterwards with everybody else.
0: You know. Well, I say, yeah. When you record it, that's just there for posterity, you like
1: <laughs> It's got to be right because it could be listened to for hundreds of years. And there's a there's a funny thing now because like it's like I know in my head where where something should be, mm-hmm. based part mm-hmm. wise, mm-hmm. and it's it's frustrating when I can't get it there. But then I have to realize, well, I can't get it there because I'm not there yet.
0: Right. I, mean, I have right. to
1: just accept that this is where I'm at now and do the best I can right now. And send a part knowing that this mm-hmm. is the best that I can make it. And mm-hmm. hope that I'm going to improve at this and eventually get to where that sound is in my head, you know. But you enjoy recording. The recording I it, yeah, I think it's like a really cool, uh, uh, cool. Um, th- just the whole process of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that it's funny, like I think that you're a player that, um, I've said this to you, I think years ago, but I think you're somebody that like, I think... Like recording really is something that um, suits you because you're so good. You have so much feel and you're so fluid and what you do is so unique that I think that like, you know, that shit needs to be recorded. Like I <laughs> I feel like, it, you know, it's like one of these things that like, it in a gig a gig is fantastic, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. great. But I just I've just I think with some people it was it's like it'd be great to hear that over and over again and have that on I think you'd bring a lot of life to a lot of records. So um I think it's great that you're moving in that direction.
1: Definitely, definitely. I'm looking forward to kind of like seeing how it all pans out. But you know, it's um at the moment we're doing what makes sense for us right now with the tools that we have. But that's if we're gonna be like in this situation for longer I think that's gonna morph into other things as well. I don't know what that Absolutely. Is. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well listen, man, it's been fantastic talking to you yeah. and I guess we should wrap it up. We'll have to do it again yeah. at some point in time. Um, hopefully at a time when everybody's gigging again and yeah. can actually see people playing live or whatnot. But um if not, we look forward to hearing you on lots of different records and different things in the near future, you know. Sure, sure, man. Um but yeah, let's um let's catch up again soon. Thanks a lot for coming on and um all the best.
1: Thanks for having having me, dude. Pleasure
0: All right, to be Alright,
1: take it easy. See you man. Bye. Bye.
0: So nice to be able to catch up with my man Deshaun. You can check him out at DeshaunAbrahams.com or at deshaunabrahams Abrahams on Instagram. We hope you're enjoying these conversations. If you are, please tell a friend. Like, share, follow, comment, all that good stuff. Let us know what you're thinking, who you want us to talk to. All feedback is welcome. In the next episode, we go to NYC and chop it up with my man Darius Woodley. He's played with 50 Cent, J. Cole, Lauren Hill, Camila Cabello, and many others definitely one not to be missed.